Welcome to Pure Happiness Coffee. Pure Happiness Coffee is a poem, an artwork, and a community dedicated to becoming better stewards of our world's favorite beverage. Each episode of Pure Happiness is a short glimpse into one individual's coffee journey, a journey that, finally, connects us all. Because this podcast is oriented around posts I wrote years ago, it is by nature an exercise in memory and recording. Memory is one of our most precious gifts, but it is also vulnerable to manipulation. It is well known that human recall, while powerful, is suggestible and easily distorted. And nevertheless, memory is one of our most intimate personal spaces where we relive experiences, recall lost loved ones, favorite cups of coffee, and even imagine the way things could have been. But memory isn't just our own personal experience. Outside of human memory, we have developed all manner of recording technologies that help us in trying to capture the past's inevitable escape while allowing us to share our memories with others across time and space, like this podcast, for example, and writing which is, among other things, a recording technology that helps us recall the past. Here I am, doing it now. Language, drawing, even dance and music, besides their obvious cultural import, they all serve mnemonic functions as well. That is, they help us remember things. Think about how you first learned the alphabet. I'll give you a second. Did you hear it? You see, these recording technologies externalize memory, and that, in turn, allows these prosthetic memories to have influence over us, like being possessed by a spirit. What is this silent music? Episode 14, Loveless Coffee, formerly Spectrum Coffees. What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. So Juliet famously laments, unconvinced that simply by virtue of Romeo being a Montague and her being a Capulet, their love should be prohibited. A rose is a rose is a rose, wrote Gertrude Stein. Sure, a rose smells beautiful with or without the word to name it, but Stein's point here, in contrast to Juliet's, savors the word itself, in part to champion language's repetitious persistence even in the face of material ephemerality. A rose might wilt, fade, and decompose, but the word rose stays the same forever. And there's a certain beauty in that too. Who needs roses when we have language? This week I've been meditating on the limits of taste and in the previous episode, I thought a little about my exploration of what I call non-representative coffee writing. One of the reasons for this is that even though language is perhaps our best communicative technology, it is also one always in danger of sliding over the particularities of things in favor of convenient generalizations. A quick and useful turn of phrase can swiftly become a boring and rote colloquialism. What does it mean to throw the baby out with the bathwater? Ralph Waldo Emerson called this phenomenon fossil poetry, arguing that language was full of this stuff. 
poetic phrases that have ended up as rote forms of communication, language becoming lazy, repeatable, and uninteresting, therefore pulling us away from reality. This is all a roundabout way of saying that today I'm reflecting on my first visit to Loveless Coffee in Bushwick, a wonderful cafe and roaster doing some of the best coffee in New York City, and also one of my earliest supporters. If you told me a couple of years ago that I would be hosting coffee growers at one of my favorite cafes, I would have told you that you were crazy. But with the support and encouragement of folks like the wonderful group of people over at Loveless, this and more has become possible. And that's community. That's what it takes to break language and make new language, to break reality and make new realities, to take language and culture out of business as usual and into a real new vital spirit for change requires a community. It takes a village, so to speak. Before I ever started hosting events with coffee producers and attending specialty coffee conferences, I was simply enamored with the coffee world. And one of the parts of that world was, was Spectrum Coffee. I don't remember where I first learned of, of Spectrum. Oh, you, you heard me make the mistake. They're called Loveless today, um, my friends at Loveless. But this is all to the point um, of, of this podcast today. When I first learned of Loveless, they were called Spectrum. That was their first name. And you see, this is also one of the troubles with language. While language can be troubling because it tries to name things that it can't, like the way the word rose can never name the rose's special beauty and ephemerality. Language is also fun because it likes to come up with new ways to name things, maybe because it can't ever get at the actual material reality it's trying to. Think about how much slang there is for sex. You can boink, bang, do it, get laid, get lucky, make love, smash, knock, boots, bodge, boff, boom, boom, bump, uglies, shag, make whoopee, and a whole lot more. There are many reasons things change names. How strange that something called Spectrum is now called Loveless, but also how beautiful. I love the name. My post below is, is even about this problem the problem of language trying to name light in particular. While Newton named the seven colors of light based on what shone through a prism, if you get right down to it, light is a spectrum. And at the end of the day, it resists that all too human desire to categorize it. Now you might have already heard the problem with Lovelace's first name, spectrum. Because you see today, names have value. Names can be owned and possessed, or more formally, copywritten. Now, the origins of copyright are beyond the purview of the podcast today, but suffice it to say that when a big enough entity in possession of a word gets wind of what they perceive as a threat, well, we all know who wins in the end. Let's hope a certain cable company and internet provider doesn't come after uh, this very small podcast today. And finally, while it feels like all fun and games, the power of naming this or that thing is really serious and can have dire consequences. Think of racial epithets and dead naming as some of the worst forms of abusive language. So language and what we call this or that, what we name it, 
actually comes to organize a lot of human behavior, a lot of what we do and what we experience, how we think, what we're allowed to think, what we're not allowed to do. That's why my non-representative coffee writing really came about, because I've been asking myself for years now, just what is coffee? What does the word really signify? What do we mean when we say, I like coffee? What are we talking about? But let's talk about for a moment what didn't change at Loveless, and that's the spirit moving through these folks, a spirit that I'm fortunate enough to have been in contact with and possessed by, from their beautiful coffee and compassion to their kind demeanor, their wonderful hospitality, and their wonderful space. You can hear my excitement uh, on my first visit in the post below. It was there that I first met Macarena of Café Teocanejo. Uh, I attended a beautiful tasting by Spirit Tea. I went to the launch of my friend Kristen's coffee magazine, Dialogue. I first cupped Forgotten Forest's radical Puerto Rican coffee there. And eventually, I even hosted my own event with Café Teocanejo. Thank you all so much for the experiences and opportunities you fostered. Truly, there would be no pure happiness without loveless coffee. But when I first sat there that day in the spring light, I was a world away from where I am today. This cafe and their coffee registered to me like a celebrity might to other people. Like, I just thought Spectrum was so cool. And I was so stoked that they had a shop that I was now sitting in. And it was a great shop. And I was sitting in the light, reading poetry. From their creative packaging and overall aesthetic down to their exploratory and innovative coffees, I was smitten. But like smitten in the way a kid is with their celebrity crush. I mean, it felt great. It was that kind of fantastical celebrity crush that love can be. And it is some of the most exciting we know. But you know, at the end of the day, that form of love, the kind of celebrity crush love, it's really only that way because it's a fantasy. In that situation, we're able to project our imagination onto the thing we love. The celebrity, the dope coffee brand, whatever. And that love, while intoxicating, while very exciting, is exciting precisely because we don't actually know that much about the object of affection. Much more difficult, finally, is not loving from a distance in the way that, let's say, a lot of people did the Beatles or Taylor Swift, but actually getting involved in the nitty-gritty of relationships. And for a certain kind of love, this celebrity crush kind, we never really have to do anything. And its power over us works precisely because it never causes us to act, only to fantasize. The culprit here is the opposite of memory, the imagination. And oh, do I love the imagination. It is the imagination's power that allows us to speculate, to create new ideas, to live out a fantasy world different from our own, and then build it. The imagination is amazing, and as an artist and poet, I would be nothing without it. That being said, the imagination also poses dangers for the casual user. You see, it's possible to become completely immersed in an imaginary world and never know it. That's because the imagination can transform memory and that can have dire consequences. 
Today, that danger is being expressed by the emergence of something called the metaverse, an alternative digital world that could conceivably replace our usual experience with reality by substituting our senses' experience of the material world with electric signals generated by computers. I'm talking about, you know, the Neuralink. <laughs> this is a great example of the way that technology can end up appropriating our imagination. Now, I don't want to suggest that the digital world is any less real than ours, or that it's even inherently bad. Indeed, I think it's important that we understand that it too is real and does a lot of great stuff. It's just different from what we usually think of as real. And precisely what is different is the way that it controls what becomes available to experience. Virtual reality is a reality precisely controlled. It decides on the inputs and outputs, it provokes intended sensations, and most importantly, and most dangerously, it erases what it would prefer not to be there. Now, I want to make a strong, rather provocative claim. I want to claim that coffee is actually a kind of virtual reality. I'm serious. Think about the way we talk about the coffee world. What do we really mean? I think we mean something like all the things related to coffee in the world. At the same time, that world is only created by what we allow into it, and so therefore also what we exclude from it. So when I say coffee is virtual reality, I mean that what we think coffee is, is a kind of limited abstraction of everything that coffee is. That goes for the coffee world. To have a world is, is partially to, to limit that world. So when we think of coffee as just that thing we drink in the morning that wakes us up, or that thing that's something nice we share with friends that stimulates conversation at a diner. We're nevertheless participating in the creation of a virtual reality that has been forcefully created by a global economic system that would really prefer us not to think too much about all the other things coffee is. A crop deeply tied to colonial history, the slave trade, enforced monocropping, the ongoing creation of economic disparities around the world, and more. Now, I don't mean to sound doom and gloom. Rather, I just want to make a point that at the end of the day, the coffee world, as we know it, tends to be a pretty limited one. And a whole lot of that world is constructed so that we pay attention to this or that new grinder, this new water recipe, this espresso machines, new features, the micron difference between this or that methods extraction technique, etc. And I'm not totally against any of this. However, we can really go too far in that direction of this becoming the whole world, the whole coffee world. And that is a virtual reality. And it's a virtual reality that serves a particular function, which is to distract our attention from a lot of the economic and human labor requirements and dependencies that coffee emerges from. Indeed, it can sometimes feel like the machines have taken over. Is espresso actually AI? So 
I believe we shouldn't be afraid of the way that virtual reality or the metaverse might come to, quote, replace reality. Instead, I believe that we should worry more about the way that our memories and our imaginations have already been appropriated and manipulated into believing this or that thing is more important in the coffee world than something else. When we think of coffee as just a one thing, that singular cup of coffee that we drink in the morning, or as something just submitted to market competition, or something that we use in competition with each other. We're literally drinking a virtual reality, one that can really easily erase all of the kaleidoscopic difference in human being under the surface of that cup of coffee that we drink at the cafe, or we use to give us a bump in the morning, or to trade as a commodity. We so frequently lose that world of soil and sunlight, water and labor, geography and history, culture and inequality. We so easily lose our memory. At its best, coffee competitions actually highlight these facts. Indeed, I'm happy to congratulate Phil of Loveless for his recent success at Brewers Cup, and I wish you the best in national competition. I'm sure your routine is fantastic, and I'll, I'll try and tune in to, to witness it. And, and yeah, competitions can be, rather than places where just really good coffee becomes even more expensive, they can be the place and site of storytellings, of new narrative creation, of new cultural creation. And it's up to us to, to continue making that more a point in, in competitions today. In a lot of ways, when we think of coffee as just this one thing we drink every morning, this one same thing, we're just being unimaginative. In a way, we're turning coffee into a celebrity crush, one that we can keep fantasizing over, even say we love, one we can project all of our experiences onto without ever actually getting all that close to just what coffee really is. And that's the majority of our relationship to this global system. And surely that goes for a lot of things. Worse than simply being unimaginative, this disposition can come to invent a false past, one that we become attached to. Wonderful experiences at diners, early morning coffees on the way to class or work, a fun time at an espresso counter in Italy. Now all these things are real, but they're only false because it's not really the whole story of what coffee is. So, so long as that is what we're attached to, as coffee, we're attached to a virtual reality. All these social experiences that become associated with the big abstraction of coffee, our big celebrity crush, our virtual reality, become coffee itself, become fossil language. And the beautiful plant, the branches, the leaves, the bugs, the cherries, the flowers, and very importantly, the people who pick it, who grow it, can get lost, can become erased from memory. We might even think we know what coffee is and what coffee wants more than coffee itself. We might become coffee stalkers, trapped in a maniacal fantasy world, predicated on our own inability to face with clear eyes the reality of what we love. Because love, finally, is about seeing what is good, 
and seeing that so truly that you want it to keep living, to keep growing, to keep flourishing. Love isn't about possession and ownership. The celebrity crush finally is usually one about just that. You wish you could have it. And if what we love is the global system of economic inequality that drives coffee, then we will surely keep allowing that system to flourish. Indeed, we'll continue to create it. But if we can come to see that that love is a naive one, fun but juvenile, bordering on dangerous, then we might attempt to start really loving coffee. First, by coming to understand just what it is. And that is something beyond our imaginations. May 20th, 2022. Loveless Coffee, formerly Spectrum. I've been so excited to try Spectrum coffees, and it did not disappoint. Wonderful space, chill tunes, and a very particular, very good vibe flows through this sweet space in Bushwick. An incredible bright and deep espresso blend, and a beautiful and rich Brazilian natural accompanying me in a reading of 1080 Press's recent publication of Madeline Rose's stark, hallucinogenic encounter with memory, death, forgetting, life, self, slashes, and language. Lethe. Let us get a definition out of the way. A spectrum, plural spectra or spectrums, is a condition that is not limited to a specific set of values, but can vary, without gaps, across a continuum. Even though Newton named seven colors that spread through a prism, light is a spectrum that defies this categorical impulse, human vanity. Light, like taste and flavor, is a varying, fluctuating continuum. Despite language's best attempts to confine it to words, light and flavor, like love and grief, always exceed our descriptive grasp. Flights into the unknown, the risky and the strange, therefore, can sometimes describe a flavor or color in a way that rings more true than conventionally codified signs, like blue, red, even indigo. So it filled me with an immediate spark of delight and recognition when I read Spectrum's first tasting note for this rich Brazilian. Peanut butter. Delight because I'd never seen that note applied to coffee, and recognition because reading the word like a flash of lightning created a new path of flavor between the earth of my knowledge and the heaven of possibility. Lethe, the river of forgetting, that we all dip into, if never twice, perhaps always, flows mysteriously into a river we speak of but never pass into, Nemesini. Dipping our hand into that river grants the shade omniscient knowledge. Between Lethe and Nemesini, then, is a virtual fluxing spectrum, not land, nor earth, and not sky, but a continuum from which joy, the new reality, and life leap from, like the light effects of pure happiness dancing across varied pale pink tiles, none of which are identical but all of which persist in a perfect pinkness, a realm of multiplicity we can never confine to experience. 
Thank you for listening.